In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And we're joined today by the great Tia Mitchell, the AJC's brand new Washington correspondent who's already up in Washington. Tia, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, cold, but but good. Um, I missed last week's podcast because I was on pool duty with President Trump. You were right there in the thick of things with the president. Um, at his the rollout of his Black Voices for Trump initiative, and it was it was quite the day. Yes, it was. It was really interesting because we had so many questions beforehand about what would the crowd look like, who would be there to see this launch, would it be diverse, would there be lots of Black people there, and um, so to be there in the room and to see how they were able to kind of gather the the Trump supporters who are African-American from all over the nation, get them in one room. It was almost like a reunion of sorts. You can Mm -hmm. tell people, you know, were like, oh yeah, I remember seeing you in 2016 or at a, at a rally or at an event. And they were kind of a rare time to get all of them in the room as far as the African-Americans who support president Trump. Well, we had very different experiences because I've covered something like 25 to 30 of these President Trump events, rallies, either in Georgia or around the nation. That was your first one, right? That was my first Trump rally. It was. And so that also was, you know, my first time seeing President Trump speak live and in person and to see how he kind of works the room. And, you know, we know that no you know, he's kind of unpredictable, so it's not mm-hmm. like he's cookie cutter in the way he approaches things, but it was just interesting to see, you know, him live and in person. Yeah, well, um, you were in the Georgia World Congress Center, I guess it's a ballroom, convention hall, whatever you want to call it. Um, there was about, in all, 500 or so people there, about 350 attendees, and then probably another 100 or so press And I was in the pool, which is a very different experience, which means I am with the president from the time he lands on Air Force One up in Dobbins Air Force Base um, to the time he he leaves. Uh, And uh, I'll tell you, uh, it's my fourth or fifth time being in a pool with President Trump. But I'll tell you, I'll never get over driving in a completely empty Georgia 400 in the middle of what should be rush hour traffic, going about 70 miles an hour, screaming down the highway with no one around me, (laughs) no one but the convoy we're in. Um, It's a very unique experience. But, you know, most of the time we're actually in these vans, trying not to get carsick, in 
um, in hotel ballrooms, but not, you know, not, not around where the, the private fundraiser the president's having, but kind of in a holding room waiting for the next stop, getting, you, you know, unique access, um, but not exactly getting FaceTime with the president. Right. And, and I think that's cool that you were able to kind of from the time he arrived in Atlanta to the time he left, you were with the president. Yeah, well, we have a lot to talk about today pushing forward because the president's event was just one of many, many political events we're covering this month. It should be a quieter month, you know, the November, a year before an election, but not in Georgia. We've got next up on Wednesday, the presidential debate, the Democratic presidential debate, the first major presidential debate Atlanta has hosted since 1992. Um a long, long time ago, when when I lo- I did the research and looked at exactly what that event was, it was a very it was an impromptu debate, one of three forums held in the span of just three twenty four hours. One was in Colorado, one was in Georgia, and one was in another state. And it was right before Georgia's Super Tuesday ish um, primary. I think I think it wasn't actually Super Tuesday, but it was right before Georgia's big primary, and that was the primary that Bill Clinton. Uh, one, it was his first primary victory. This is going to be very different. This is not right before a primary. This is a mega event with about 10 candidates. That one had about four candidates. And one of them was was on satellite, um, beamed in by satellite. This time you'll have 10, t- at least 10 candidates on the stage. And it'll, it'll be a big moment in democratic politics, not just nationally, but of course here in Georgia. Yeah, I think I think what's going to be so interesting, number one, there's still going to be a lot of people on stage. Um, and, and, and that just makes always for, you know, kind of an interesting dynamic, but I do think, you know, the setting this time, Tyler Perry studios, you know, the first major black owned movie studio on a stage named after Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey. you know, and I don't think, I don't think the candidates are going to be able to avoid making, um, you know, avoid, and you know, the, the moderators are all female. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's just like, I just, I just am expecting this debate to be particularly focused on like, you know, people of color, women's issues, marginalized communities, you know, because it's just the setting kind of begs for it. You're right. And Stacey Abrams, um, kind of gave a a gentle nudge earlier uh, on, on Thursday where she said, Huh, I wonder why we haven't we've had how many presidential debates? Four or five already? This will be mm-hmm. the fifth. Um, but not a single question. That means dozens of questions, but not a single one yet on voting rights, which of course was an enormous issue in last year's gubernatorial election. So um she said on Twitter that she bets this will be the debate that that breaks that streak of 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 questions without asking about voting rights. So that'll be one topic we're sure. Um, is sure to come up, but there'll be all sorts of other topics. And we, we're hoping to see some Georgia-specific topics because a lot of these other debates, they might mention one one or two issues um, near and dear to the hearts of of the local venue. But in Georgia, there's so many issues that, that also reflect the national the national dialogue. Right. That's true. And, and I mean, I you're right. We have abortion that's come up in Georgia. Of course, like you mentioned, the voting rights. We have the economy and healthcare, particularly with Governor Kemp coming out with his, you know, Medicaid waiver plan. I think now that makes healthcare even more relevant in Georgia. So you're right. A lot of those, those issues that resonate nationally, of course, there's a clear Georgia angle 
it will be interesting to see, again, those local touches, you know, when there was the debate in Texas and it was on the campus of an HBCU and there was a lot of, you know, playing that up, the setting. I wonder, you know, how they're going to play up the Georgia setting next week. You're right. In Houston, there was there was a lot of angst actually over the HBCU angle because um, th- that issue, other than Senator Harris bringing it up herself, was never addressed uh, during the debate by any of the moderators or any of the other candidates that, hey, this isn't an HBCU and what are the presidential candidates going to do about bolstering funding for HBCUs or, or helping boost attendance or whatever the major debate is. And so I'll be really interested to see if candidates talk about the heartbeat bill in Georgia and the, and the, and the threat that's posed to the Georgia's film industry, for instance, be, being this being at a film studio in the heart of Atlanta. Right. And then you even have like the environmental issues. You know, Georgia is a coastal state um, and climate change is coming up and and drilling offshore drilling comes up and, and trade with the ports comes up. So I do think it's cool that Georgia does allow for so many issues to have local relevance because the state, you know, has so many different industries and, and interests. Yeah. And there's going to be two giant national um, angles too with this debate. So obviously the first debate since public impeachment hearings over the, uh, over the impeachment inquiry have begun. So expect that to factor into the debate. And it's also the first debate since two now presidential candidates who seem to have passed on a, ra- on a run earlier this year since those two got in the race. And that would of course be former Massachusetts governor Deval Patrick and former New York mayor, Michael Bloomberg. Both of them, have announced sweeping plans to run for office and spend a lot of money and 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 travel the state. I expect Governor Patrick to be in Georgia soon. Not sure about Mayor Bloomberg, but um, a lot is a lot is going on. The, the the Democratic race for president is uniquely fluid. It's always been big. It's always been unwieldy, but now it's gotten even even bigger and more unwieldy with these two name brand politicians entering the contest. Right. And I think if people have pointed out that like Democratic voters, they're not looking for more candidates. They're looking for fewer. You know, there's you always hear people saying it's too yeah. many people on the stage. Let's let some people start dropping out so we can start whittling it down. And so um, I wonder if the the candidates who make it to the debate stage um, are going to try their best to ignore these late additions, you know, and to pretend like they're not not happening to hopefully keep the focus of voters on who's already there and not on who may be trying to get added into the mix. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. They'll do their best job at uh, <laughs> at pretending they're not in the race. But it does say something about the state of the contest that enough donors, well, for Deval Patrick, that enough donors who are, who are more moderate um, see see Joe Biden, who is trying to take that lane, trying to take that mainstream moderate lane, see him as vulnerable. You know, he's durable, but he, but he has not, he's not established himself as the consensus front runner, especially with Pete Buttigieg trying to take the same lane. So there are enough Democratic bigwigs out there see Deval Patrick as a viable candidate. And of course, the other sign is that Michael Bloomberg is willing to invest, you know, a giant portion of his fortune and running, he's he spent a lot of it last year on boosting Democratic candidates around the nation, including Lucy McBath right here in Georgia. Um, but now he's going to spend it on his own campaign, and that's a sign that he's just not happy with the, with what he's seeing from the field too. So there'll be a big ignore, uh, a lot of ignoring act, but 
it'll be hard to ignore those two candidates in a few months. Right. And you do make a good point about the fact that all of these Democratic candidates, and there's so many, and they have their strengths and weaknesses. And as a result, there is no one person who's really getting like momentum of knocking folks out. Of course, you know, Joe Biden continues to lead in the polls and and he's kind of the odds on favorite right now, but he is no juggernaut. He is no shoe in. And again, he has his weaknesses that have continued to kind of drag down support. And so I do think there that leaves the slate open for new people to jump in. But I'm wondering, and I love your thoughts, Greg, like it's hard to qualify for the debates now. It's getting harder and harder to qualify. Do you think that um, Governor Patrick or Mayor Bloomberg will be able to qualify? And do you think that someone can win the nomination if they never make it to a debate stage? That, that's a, that second part of the question is really fascinating because someone like Bloomberg doesn't necessarily need to be on the debate stage to get attention, right? He he has so much, uh, he has so much of his own personal fortune that can boost his 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 name brand, and he already has high name recognition in a lot of these states, and he won't even be on the ballot. Neither of these candidates will be on the will even be on the ballot in Arkansas or Alabama, where the the deadline is already passed to be on the presidential primary um, ticket. Um, so that'll be an interesting question. Tom Steyer, who's also a, a mega, you know, wealthy billionaire candidate, um, does want need to be in these debates in order to boost his profile. So um, I'm sure that 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 the Governor Patrick's campaign sees debates as crucial, but obviously they won't be on the debate stage here in um, in Atlanta. Um, but going forward, yeah, I mean, how, how do they how do they position themselves as as real contenders? We know that 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 Bloomberg's strategy hinges on Super Tuesday and spending a lot of money on the second round of states. Not those early voting states, but those second round of states where there's more people and there's and 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 there's just a lot more bigger media markets. Um Deval Patrick's strategy is very different. He's he's trying to be that sort of mainstream alternative to to Joe Biden, but a younger alternative and maybe a little bit more seasoned than than someone like Pete Buttigieg, who's also in that lane. Um, but also, you know, reminding people um, not so subtly that that he's also very close with President Obama, just like Joe Biden is, and um, and and he could be. He's trying to position himself as that unifier, that someone who could who could heal a country that is so divided over politics. You can get past a lot of the wonkish debates over Medicare for all and climate change and Green New Deal that that we've seen in in the presidential debates these last few months. Yeah. And that brings up another thing I've been thinking about is all the the hand wringing among Democrats about, you know, if you go too far left, do you start turning people off? And if you support Medicare for all, is that, you know, turning off voters? And there's so many examples of both. You know, we -hmm. have the AOCs and a bunch of freshman House members who ran far left and 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 they won. But then you have polls saying, well, Democratic voters aren't responding to some of the more progressive platform ideas. But then you see that Elizabeth Warren is doing pretty well. Bernie Sanders is doing pretty well. They're both running in the top three or four consistently and, and pretty close to Joe Biden in some of the polls. So 
I think that's interesting as well as like, you know, you have the Bloomberg and Patrick saying, you know, give another moderate option because the, because there are certain concerns that maybe there aren't enough moderate candidates to choose from. But I don't know if the Democratic base wants a moderate. I, I'm glad you mentioned the P word poll because we have a lot to talk about there too. Um, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution released its own poll of Georgia of, of registered Georgia voters um, released it a few days ago. It was conducted between October 30th and November 8th um, by the School of Public and International Affairs over at UGA, included about 1,028 registered voters. Um, the margin of error is three percentage points. So let's get all that out of the way. But it had some really interesting findings. And and you were mentioning uh, that divide over, over progressive slash liberal issues like Medicare for All. Well, one of the things the poll showed is Voters are very voters in Georgia are very squeamish about uh, Medicare for all, um, with a, a, an overwhelming, a broad majority of voters saying that they are not fans of that plan at all. Right, but then when you put them head to head in the poll against Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren, still, yeah. you know, edged them out. Not a big lead, not as big as a lead as Joe Biden had in the poll, but. Again, still, they were able in the poll to to edge out more votes than Donald Trump. Yeah, and so it's it's not. Again, I it, it makes me wonder that even if Medicare for all, for example, is is not the favorite issue for even you know tried and true Democrats, is it really going to prevent people who don't want to vote for Donald Trump? from voting for the Democratic candidate, even if they are pretty far, you know, pretty liberal on some of the issues. Yeah, let's drill down into some of that, because here's some of the key findings of the poll. First, a majority of Georgia voters support the impeachment inquiry into President Trump. Of course, there's vastly polarizing outcomes. Most Republicans are against it. Most Democrats are for it. A, a, a slimmer majority of independents are for that inquiry. But when you ask voters if they support removing President Trump from office, it is almost evenly split at 47-47 with about 6% of the electorate saying, you know, no opinion or refuse to answer. Um, President Trump's approval rating uh, remains underwater, remains um, under 50%. It's inched up a little bit from previous polls we've done. And as you noted, in head-to-head matchups, Donald Trump is trailing. He's within the margin of, of error, but he's trailing every all five of the top Democratic candidates that we polled. Um, but his biggest margin of uh, his biggest he trails. But the candidate he trails the, the, the most is former Vice President Joe Biden, who is leading the president 51 percent to 43 percent. So he's the one candidate who's sort of uh, leading President Trump with by a margin outside of the margin of error. Right. And and again, it goes to show that Joe Biden still is considered kind of the strongest Democrat in the field right now. Um, but still, it's he's not that far away from the Bernie Sanders and the Elizabeth Warrens. And then Peter Buttigieg and Kamala Harris are not too far behind them. And... You know, speaking from what I'm hearing from the Democratic voters, 
what would happen if you're down to just those four, you know, because right now Mm -hmm. you've got several other people that voters are hearing from that are, you know, peeling off support and things like that. But what happens when voters really start focusing in on, you know, three or four top candidates and can really get to know them and what they stand for? Will that shift maybe better or worse, you know, when they really get to know a smaller amount of candidates in in their platforms more intimately than you can when you're trying to get to know nine or 10? Yeah, I mean, for Democrats, I think the most encouraging sign might be the shift of independent voters. Independent voters in Georgia have long been a Republican-leaning block of voters that has been pretty influential, um, and, and a largely white <clears throat> block of voters, I should add, too. Um, so this type of the type of voters, the type of uh, electorate that that Republicans rely on and Democrats would love to get. Well, we're seeing a continuous shift of those voters from the GOP to the Democratic Party. Um, You know, not an overwhelming shift, but but a gradual shift. And Democrats have got to be excited about that. Our poll showed a majority of independents support the impeachment inquiry and about 60 percent of them disapprove of Trump's job performance. Another solid sign for Democrats has to be what you wrote about the other day, which is um, the challenges, it pointed to some challenges that Senator David Perdue faces in his 2020 election, uh, re-election campaign. Yes. Senator, I mean, Senator Perdue is an ally of President Trump. You know, they were together at the baseball game. They were together when President Trump was here fundraising. Matter of fact, had a joint fundraiser. Raised um, about $3.5 million. $3.5 so not bad million. Dollars. So, you know, for better or for worse, um, as Trump goes, Senator Perdue will go. Of course, there will be some differences. But, you know, if President Trump continues to not do well, that's going to pull down Senator Perdue. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that. You know, we saw, for example, his favorability is going up slightly, but so are his unfavorables, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's showing that, you know, maybe three or six months ago when people were kind of like, yeah, either way, they're either deciding I like the guy or I don't like the guy, you know, and, and that is because people are becoming more aware, not just of the Senator, but of the fact that he is closely aligned with president Trump. Yeah. And to highlight some of his numbers, it it showed Although about 50% of Georgians approve of his job performance, only about one-third said they'd support him in next year's election. And a bigger group, 41%, say their choice depends on whoever the Democratic nominee is. So it shows you how – we were talking about how fluid the presidential race is. Well, um, the Senate race, this Senate race, we don't even know who the nominees or who the the main candidates in the race for Senator Rising's seat will be yet. But we sure know that – in the Purdue race, it's very unsettled. And a lot of people were looking at those four main Democratic contenders. And look, there's still time. A fifth or even sixth candidate could still jump in and shake up that race even more. Right. And and of course, that is so it's so early for these races in a way. You know, um, the primary is what, six months away? May, yeah. yeah, May. And so... Of course, we're hearing from the candidates a lot, but I don't think voters are paying that much attention, you know, and so it'll I don't think we'll have that settled anytime soon. I mean, we won't until the primary, but, you know, it'll be hard to even 
for us in the media to know mm. who who's the front runner and and which candidates are really resonating with voters in the Senate race for a while. Well, we can't leave without talking about some of the um, encouraging signs in the poll. It's not all bad news for Republicans. Um, re- Republicans have to be uh, enthous- uh, energized by the by signs that Trump is further consolidating Republican support. Our poll shows that 87 percent of Republicans um, back him. That's that's a little bit up from um, the last time we polled that question. And his overall favorability rating increased a little bit to 42 percent. Um, and also, you know, not a surprise, but still a good sign for Republicans. A broad majority of conservatives opposes the, the impeachment inquiry. And I think the one of the more surprising findings of this poll is that Governor Kemp's popularity continues to rise. 54% of Georgia voters give him a favorable review one year since he won the election. That's up from 46% in April and 37% in January. And that includes most women. And I know this is this is very encouraging. This is what Kemp's aides were really excited about. That also includes one fifth of Democrats. So um, some some encouraging signs if you're if you're a Kemp supporter um, in that poll for his approval ratings. Right, and I think you know Governor Kemp. Of course, everything he's done has not been popular. Um, the um, heartbeat bill not popular among Democrats, but I think he has avoided any major, major gaffes and he's avoided, you know, um, unforced errors. And so I do think it's interesting that Democrats, of course, the majority of Democrats don't approve of him and they may never, particularly with how the the election was framed by Stacey Abrams, even as she bowed out. Um, after the election results. So there are going to be people who are skeptical um, for a long time, but I think that there are also people who are willing to give him a chance and hear him out. And again, what they're seeing is like, you know, all the, the good press and he really hasn't had any really con- big controversies yet. Yeah. I mean, as much as the focus was on um, the heartbeat bill that infuriated Democrats and a lot of moderates too, um, and his comments about C-list celebrities boycotting Georgia and all that. Uh, you know, he also mixed in a few things, a few more moderate things that even Governor Deal, who is known as a much more moderate-leaning governor, um, that even Governor Deal didn't support, and that includes expansion of med- Georgia's medical marijuana program. That includes the waiver process that you mentioned earlier. That's something that that Governor Deal could not get across the finish line, even if he wanted to, because lawmakers stripped that power from him. Well, year one, um, Governor Kemp pushes that through. It still is unclear if it will get approved by the White House. Um, and still, of course, is 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 upsetting to Democrats who say that he should embrace a full-on expansion of Medicaid. And yet still, he has, he's done, he's, ta- he's taken at least a step forward to to covering about what he what his office estimates is about fifty thousand, at least fifty thousand um, poor Georgians who would otherwise not get any sort of Medicaid coverage. Um, so I think that contributes to some, at least some of the uh, uh, of the rising favorability ratings for for the governor. Yeah, I agree, and I think you know we'll people are waiting to see how he continues to conduct himself in office. I do think you know. Trump could also affect, you know, he's not up for re-election next year, of course, but he is, again, an ally of President Trump. Trump is, you know, he was there 
on Friday with President Trump as well. And um, I wonder if, you know, when it is time to run for reelection, if Trump is still in office and still unpopular, that could drag him down too. But he he doesn't have to worry about that for now. Yeah, it's a problem for a different day for the governor. Well, Tia, thank you so much for joining us. And um, stay tuned because there'll be another podcast in just a few days where we talk more about what to expect this crazy week of the debate here in Atlanta. Thanks again, Tia. Thank you. That's all for this edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Visit AJC.com slash politics for all the latest in Georgia news. I'm Greg Bluestein signing off. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.